James uh, chapter 1, we'll start our reading in um, verse 16 and read down through the end of um, 21. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every one person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You may be seated. We live in a very fractured world these days. Uh, We see it in our nation. We see it in families. We see it in the church as well. The divisions in our nation uh, remind me of what uh, you read in the 1850s and 1860s when the nation finally came to bloodshed. And we are in a war presently. It is a cultural war where what is right is called wrong and what is wrong is called right And it seems like that we see unfolding before us uh, the kind of life that unfolded in the days of the judges when each man did what is right in his own eyes. Well, the church is at the fulcrum of this battle. The church has an essential role to play in this war that is being waged. Jesus said to the church, you are the light of the world, uh, the world uh, represented by darkness, and that being sinfulness, and that being lawlessness, and that being ignorance of God. Well, it's the church's responsibility to shine the light of the gospel to the world. He also said you are salt. As you know, in the days of Christ, salt was used as a preservative. And so it is in the church that is to bring light upon the lost world and to have a preserving effect upon the world as well. If the church, listen to this, if the church does not stand against secularism and humanism, who will? If the church is not willing to call a spade a spade, if the church is not willing to call sin sin, then who will? And the answer is no one. So we are involved in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the war, and there is division all around. And what causes division is anger. When people disagree, and they disagree vehemently, and so that what is produced after that strong disagreement is anger. And the twin to anger is hatred. And it is that some people are given to become angry more easily than others. They have what we call a temper, a bad temper, 
There's no such thing as a good temper. There's good temperament, but not a good temper. And so they are given to getting angry, and uh, the least of things can at times upset them and make them really fly off the handle and be very, very emotionally distraught and angry. We must also confess that at one time or another, even those who may not be given to anger do lose their temper and behave in such a way as to cause hurt. Well, what are we going to do about that? Do we do anything about that? Do we simply say that is simply how I am? And we move on from there. I have heard people say that before. That's just how I'm wired. Well, God doesn't look at it as that's just how you're wired. He looks at it as sin. He looks at it as rebellion. He looks at it as wrong. This morning, as we go through these verses, would have us to see this, that because anger in the heart of the Christian is contrary to God's purposes for the life of his people, because anger in the heart of the Christian is contrary to the purposes of God in the life of his people, Christians must seek to control their anger using God's word to rein it in, using God's word to deal with it, using God's word to put it to death. So there's basically one point this morning, that's this, is anger must be put aside by a conscious commitment to peaceful alternatives. In the first place, then, James is addressing our volition, as he does in verse 19. Um, As he says this in that verse, Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And so we recognize anger was an issue back in the Old Testament. We saw with the the life of King Saul, who out of anger uh, had the the priest slaughtered. Uh, Anger again, uh, a twin of murder. So it was a problem in the Old Testament. Obviously, it was a problem in the New Testament as well, because human nature never changes. Well, as he presents it to us here, he tells us that we are to make a conscious effort to deal with anger in our lives. God is not pleased with it. He's not happy with it. He doesn't like it. Uh, it's destructive. It's disruptive. It's dangerous. So he says that we are to exercise our wills. We are to make a decision. We are to act and make a choice And there are three things that he gives us here, three acts of the will that he gives us here in this text. And that we are to utilize these if we're going to do what God would have us to do. And it is in the first place, he says that we are to be quick to hear. Oh, quick to hear what? Well, quick to hear God's word. In the first place, we are to give ourselves to hearing the word of God. Thomas Manton, an old Puritan, said this. He has spoken of the word of truth as being the instrument of their conversion and upon that ground persuades them to diligent hearing. The instrument of conversion is the gospel. The gospel is contained in the word of God. And so he encourages them to think upon the scriptures that are so powerful they can take one from being who is one from being lost to one who is saved. As this in verse 18 of his own will, he's brought forth has brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
by uh, the uh, uh, word of truth, we have been converted. He has brought us forth into a life of redemption, into a life of salvation by the word of God read, by the word of God preached, by the word of God applied. And so we would have them then hear the word. Give yourself to hearing the proclamation of the word. Give yourself to reading the word of God. And so that the word of God then is useful for conversion. It is useful for sanctification. John 17, 17, one of your memory verses, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. See, they are, they are, we are to be quick to hear them and to give heed to the word of God, which instructs us, which convicts us which teaches us how to live a life that's pleasing to God. If you want to know how to please God, if you want to know how to live a life uh, that is in accord with the Word of God and God's will, read the Scriptures, hear the Word of God preached. Well, we not only are to hear the Word of God, but then we are also to hear the Word of others as well. The reason why we fail... And where we fell is failing to remember the scriptures and failing to hear the words of others around us. Some people have determined an answer before they finish their comment. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, Paul talks about uh, the necessity of hearing the word of God if people are going to be converted. So again, the necessity of hearing the word of God, the necessity of hearing uh, the words of other people that we may understand what it is and that they really mean too much trouble, perhaps we think. It's just too much trouble to deal with sin in my life, and therefore I'm not going to try. It takes effort to be a Christian. It takes effort to be pleasing to God. It takes work. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, we read. That's not to say that we are trying to merit salvation at all. But it is to say that as believers, it's necessary that we put forth effort in following after Christ. It's necessary that we seek to be obedient to Christ in all things. Things that are easy for us and things that are hard for us as well. If the Christian life was easy, an easy life to live, then we would not have all the instructions again and again and again of the necessity of taking heed to ourselves, the necessity of living introspectively, the necessity of bringing our life to bear under the microscope of God's word and see how am I doing. If you say it's too much trouble for me to put forth effort to change, then something's wrong. Because the clear indication of the Bible is anger is wrong. It's contrary to God's will for his people, according to what James says here. And someone will argue, well, <clears throat> it's not always wrong. Well, no, it's not. Uh, Vance and I were talking in my office for worship. And he said that when Jesus cleansed the temple, he didn't politely ask people, will you move aside while I turn this table over? Uh, will you mind if I run these animals out of here? He didn't do that at all. I remember what the scriptures tell us. He made a whip 
out of cords. And he drove the animals out. And he made the people leave. What they were doing was this. As people came from miles away, they would have to herd an animal with them uh, to the temple for a sacrifice. A lot of people just go and buy one when they got there. But the closer you got to Jerusalem, the more expensive the animals became. And once you're inside the temple, they were very, very expensive. They were also trading money in there. So they were basically taking advantage of people and making money off of them. Uh, And there was no sense of true worship there at all. No sense of sincerity of worship at all. And so Christ rightly says, you've made my house a house of robbers, a den of thieves. And so Christ was absolutely justified in his anger. And yet, seldom do we ever have that kind of anger in our lives. Seldom do we ever have a justified anger. We may talk ourselves into thinking we're quite right, we're quite righteous in feeling this way, in thinking this way, but in most cases, we're not. Winston and I were talking when the elders met for prayer, and he made the point that there are times when we are justified in our anger. Yes, that's true. But you know what happens if you don't deal with that anger? Even if it's a justified anger and you nurse it and you coddle it and you bring it along very soon, very quickly, very easily, it turns into an anger that is sinful. And what happens is we move to the point then of not leaving justice to God, not leaving vengeance to God, but desiring to have our own vengeance as well. We are to be slow to speak, quick to hear. Hear the word of God. Hear the words of other people. Let them speak. Hear them out. And then slow to speak, he says here. There are people that have the gift of gab. I have been accused of that myself at times. I like to talk sometimes. Sometimes I don't. But uh, there are those who are quite good at it. And you know what uh, trying to one-up somebody is? Somebody tells a story that you tell when to try to up that one. And then another person falls in and tries to do the same thing, try to one-up somebody. Well, when he says here that we are to be quick uh, to hear slow to speak, he's talking about being slow to speak concerning our own accomplishments, being slow to speak concerning criticizing someone, uh, being slow to speak uh, by taking up uh, and hearing and spreading tales. This should not be in the church. This should not be in the church ever. It's a good way to destroy the fellowship, the peace, the unity of the church by bearing tales. So he says we are to be slow to speak. We are to be slow to speak uh, concerning uh, God's providences. In other words, not to complain about it. Matthew Henry said this as Melinda was reading. Uh, not, I don't, we, she didn't know I was preaching this. But she was talking, Matthew Henry talking about anger said this. We have to remember, when things make us angry, God still is sovereign and his providence is still at work. So a lot of times our anger is simply directed ultimately against God's providence. You think about that. When we complain, when we murmur, when we grumble, when we are angry about a circumstance, a situation, or an individual, ultimately we are angry because of God's working. And that is a very, very unwise, ungodly, unhealthy thing spiritually to do. 
So we are to be uh, quick to hear. We are to be slow to speak. And the third activity which he calls us upon uh, really hits at the, the general topic of James' concern is, and that is the topic of anger. So we are to consider, uh, Christians are to be quick to hear, for it will facilitate um, conquering anger, slow to speak, again, facilitate conquering anger, and to give ourselves uh, to see to it that this big problem in our lives is something that we are going to control. Anger, 99% of the time, is sinful. Plain and simple. Unless you're Jesus. And ain't nobody here like Jesus. We're supposed to become like Jesus. That's the goal, to be like Jesus. Uh, But we are far from being as we should be and far from being like Christ. There is no doubt when Jesus was angry, it was a justified anger. It was a holy anger. He was zealous for the honor of God when he got angry. We get angry because somebody puts us out. We get angry because somebody does something we disagree with. We get angry because somebody cuts us off in traffic. Whatever the case may happen to be, those are not expressions of holy anger. They're simply not. They're expressions of sinful anger in the life of an individual. And again... Paul says in dealing with anger, Ephesians chapter 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So this is even a justified anger. He's saying don't let the sun go down on it. In other words, don't take it to bed with you so that you mull over it through the night. And you're thinking about that through the night. And as you think about that, you cook it and it becomes more and more volatile. And so that finally it issues forth into hatred. Is it good? Is it proper? Ever to hate a brother or sister in Christ? No, it's not. John, in his epistle again and again and again, tells us to love one another. For love is from God. Uh, Love is like pouring water, not gasoline, water on anger. Love properly expressed, properly held is like pouring water on anger. And so the antidote to anger, then, is loving one another. As, again, Jesus tells us to do that. The apostle tells us to do that. It is something that we are told in the Bible again and again and again. So I ask you a question. Is it ever proper to hate a brother or sister in Christ or to be angry with them for no reason except you were inconvenienced or you didn't get your way, whatever the case may happen to be? And the answer is no, it's not right. There is a God who is sovereign, who watches us every moment. Every moment he's watching us. Every moment he has an opinion about what you're doing. And when we have this kind of anger that that James is talking about, it's not pleasing to him. And again, we excuse things. We don't deal with things like we should because we accept it. There is a special danger in all cases where anger is, because there it is accompanied most often by sin and rebellion against the Lord. And I'm not saying there are never times when you haven't been justified in your anger. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying, those cases are few and far between. So this is what he is talking about here. We do not sleep upon it. We do not harbor it. 
uh, and we do not cherish it, and we do not cherish ill will toward another brother. And the reason is stated here in the text for us, as he says in the book of James, it does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It does not set itself in agreement with the righteousness that God would have us to express. Anger is a fertile field for Satan, and it sows the seeds of tragedy wherever it is embraced and held onto. And the seeds of the tragedy of anger and hatred, Jesus says, is murder. In the Sermon on the Mount, the fifth chapter, Jesus equates anger to murder. Pretty strong words. But you have to figure Christ knows what he's talking about. Because the Pharisees were teaching the opposite, you see. They were teaching that if you didn't actually kill somebody, you could despise them. As long as you didn't actually murder them, you were okay. You had not violated the Bible. And yet Jesus says that's not the case. If you're angry with your brother for no good reason, for petty reasons, whatever the case may happen to be, he says that it's equivalent to murder. And so you have violated the commandment, though you haven't actually done a thing physically to anybody. You're guilty of murder. And how many times do we castigate someone's character willingly, knowingly, and we enjoy it? We delight in it because we want to satisfy that hatred and anger that we have within us. And so James rightly instructs the church here that we are to be slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to hear. Because what is produced when anger is embraced and lived out is contrary to God's purposes for his church. You don't always have to have your way. I don't always have to have my way. And so often in the church, the things that divide are petty. Petty things that don't warrant the kind of uh, commitment that some people give to some things that we give to things in our life that really are not that important. So we read in the Scriptures, the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And the more deceitful than any other cause is when a man is attempting to vindicate himself from injuries done to his person and reputation. The devil is always busy when we are angry. Always. Some examples of it in Scripture, Job 5, 2, Surely vexation kills. The food of jealousy slays the simple. Proverbs 15, 8, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Proverbs 19, 19, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Hear that? That's his nature. Uh, Proverbs twenty two twenty four. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Ecclesiastes seven nine. Uh, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Romans twelve seventeen. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The apostle Paul 
in speaking of attitudes of sin in the church, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it's verse 20. I scribbled it down, so I'm not sure. Yeah, they're starting in verse 19 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all of you upbuilding and your upbuilding beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit and disorder. This is the church he's addressing. The church in Corinth. And Paul is saying, I fear these things might be present in the church because you're not dealing with them. And further on, in the book of Galatians, he talks about fits of anger or outbursts of anger. This is the church he's talking about. And that we see that these things, anger is so, so dangerous and that it's quiet up to a point. You know, it's silent up to a point. So you can have that anger in your heart and it boils over into hatred. And at some time, it expresses itself. Most unexpected, like a snake that's underneath a bush. And you put your hand in it and it strikes all of a sudden. Very, very dangerous. And it does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Ungodly anger in the heart of the Christian is contrary to God's intention for his church. Anger in the heart of a Christian, ungodly anger in the heart of the Christian is contrary to God's intention for his church. What is uh, the goal for the Christian? According to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. What does he say in Matthew 5, 48? You shall be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. That's the goal. That's the standard. And the context of that is. Loving your enemies. That's the context of it. Uh, don't seek vengeance. Don't love your enemies. Remember what he says about those who persecute us. Pray for them, Jesus says. What? Uh, is Jesus kidding at that point? That people that persecute me, I've got to pray for them and pray for their well-being? Is he joking? No. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's what it is to have your heart touched by the affection of Christ. And that we become one who is then a peacemaker. One who is then living by God's grace to be one who is loving and compassionate and kind and not given to fits of anger and jealousies and things such as that that are again contrary to the life of what God would have us to be as his people. Well, anger produces division. It's poison to the fellowship of the church. Revenge is a dish that is best served cold. If you saw the second Star Trek movie, The Wrath of Khan, that line came from that movie. I mean, it was not written for the movie. It's a well, common, common known saying. Revenge is a dish that is best served cold. The idea behind that statement is this. Let anger, let hatred cook. And continue to hold on to it. 
until the deeds long past have become cold. But you still have it in your heart, and you are still waiting for that moment to express it at the right time, to bring that word, to bring that hurtfulness, to let that anger that you have that has, again, percolated into, into hatred expressed. You know, division is sad in families. It certainly is sad in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet it is there, is it not? In some cases we see it in the past histories of churches where they simply blow apart for no good reason. No good reason whatsoever. Well, how do we deal with it then? If it is something, then James has given us some, some guidelines here. He's given us these instructions in his little epistle that... We aren't to be uh, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry, to put a rein on our anger, to control it. We're not animals. I, I, I love dogs. I like cats, too, but I love dogs. And um, sometimes they'll just unleash rage. If y'all saw Cujo, that's what Winston calls my dog Cujo. It was a Stephen King book. It's about a big old St. Bernard that becomes rabid. Well, he had these outbursts of anger. He couldn't control himself. He had an excuse. He was sick. We are not animals. We can control ourselves. If not, then we would be doing all kind of things. We pull the rain in on a lot of stuff. We have to do it on anger as well. And we need to recognize that it is ungodly and wrong to have a grudge against somebody. It's just wrong. If Jesus says to pray for those who you consider your enemies, you can't hold a grudge against somebody while you're praying for them. It would be awfully hard to do. And so we make that a model for our lives. We make that a part of priority to our lives that we pray for people, all people, people who may have offended us, people who have done something to upset us. Pray for them. Pray for their well-being. Don't pray for God to bring destruction against them. You you shouldn't be doing that in the life of a believer. You can pray for God to deal with the wicked, but someone who's a Christian is not wicked. They sin, but they're not the wicked. The wicked are those who are outside of faith in Christ. So we have that prayer, then, that this will be offered up for them. Also, we have to develop a sense of humility. We are to be characterized by humility as Christians. And then, very quickly, developing a spirit of forgiveness. How do we do that? By looking at the cross of Calvary. That's how you do that. By remembering what God has done for you in Christ, by giving Christ to die for your sins, uh, to suffer your place in your place on the cross of Calvary, God's wrath and condemnation against sin. By remembering that and remembering when Jesus was hanging on the cross and all those people were shouting those remarks at him. He made all these statements, all these, these braggadocious comments. Let him come down off the cross now. We'll believe him. You know, you were going to destroy the temple in three days. Come down now, and we'll believe you. 
And they abused him greatly. And what did Jesus say? Father, strike these people dead. That's not what he said. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They have no clue who I am. Forgive them. That's grace. Unadulterated grace and kindness. You want to be like Jesus? You practice the same thing. Do you love him? Do you know him? If you love him and you know him, you see this is very reasonable and correct. If you don't know him and you don't love him, I would urge you to come to Christ. He will take your guilt away. He will give you a sense of his presence and peace. And heaven is yours. Let's pray.